all you cool cats and kittens, it's Carol Baskin and welcome to Pop Culture Addicts. Welcome to Pop Culture Addicts, the weekly show that brings you interviews and discussions with people in our pop culture world. You know, that means we get to talk more about movies, more music, more video games, and more. <laughs> Don't miss a week. You never know who's going to be our next guest. So, okay, addicts, are you ready for your pop culture fix? Our guest is the one and only Carol Baskin. And you go, Carol Baskin, yes, that <laughs> Carol Baskin. And I say it that way because so many people formed an unhealthy opinion of her because of a documentary that aired on Netflix. And yet you guys know exactly which one I'm talking about. That, of course, is called Tiger King. But Carol isn't here today to defend herself from that digital hit piece. That's not what we had her here for. Uh, and if you've only watched, by the way, if you've only ever watched Tiger King and let that frame your opinion of what and who she is, then I please ask you to go look at another documentary uh, done by the BBC, which was called Shooting Joe Exotic. And that's going to help frame things in a slightly different light. And by slightly, I mean completely. So, but yeah, check that out. But we have Carol here today to talk about the fallout from these shows, how pop culture affected her, her life, her family's life, and the, the life of her friends, and even those big cats that she's doing so much work uh, to try and rescue. So thank you for joining us, Carol. We are very excited to talk to you. My pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, you know, Carol, after that documentary series uh, dropped on Netflix, I was like most of the, the bored world in 2020. Uh, I watched it because while well, everybody else was watching it and, you know, and everybody else was talking about it, people online were talking about it. It was one of those things, it was like a train wreck. You couldn't quite take your eyes away from it, and you couldn't believe that this was what the topic was and what was going on. But it's my understanding that your involvement in that series uh, for both you and your husband uh, was under kind of a different premise. You were approached in a different way. So how exactly did you get involved with, with that show? Did you guys ever see Blackfish? I yeah. heard about it, but I did not see it. It was a program that it was a documentary that was done by Manny Ortega, and he interviewed people who were involved at SeaWorld and some of these sea aquarium places about the orcas in captivity. And what he found was that this was just a horrific experience for orcas to be kept in these concrete swimming pools and taken away from their family pods and used for these exploitive shows and attractions. And once the public saw what really goes on behind the scenes, they didn't want any part of that. And so SeaWorld had to change their model and they had to start taking animals away from their family pods and stop training them to do these stupid fish tricks and all of the horrible things that they were doing to these, they had to stop. But when the uh, producers of Tiger King came to us, they didn't say we're producing a show about Joe Exotic or we're going to do something called Tiger King. They came to us and said they were doing a film that was called Stolen World. I thought they had said Stolen Wildlife, but my husband said it was Stolen World. Okay. And for five years, we worked with them. We introduced them to all of the experts in the field because they said what they were making was the equivalent of Blackfish for Big Cats, that they were going to expose all of this abusive industry, how taking the cubs from their mothers was horrible for the cubs and horrible for the mothers and how this was actually causing the extinction of tigers in the wild. And so we were all on board with that. And we always have been. We work with filmmakers for free. We Anytime they 
want to come in and shoot. We're happy to you know, spend the whole day, sometimes weeks, in their case, five years, giving them access to anybody and anything that they wanted in order to get the footage necessary to show people that these cats don't belong in cages. And even though we have cats in cages here, we wanted them to see that with everything that we do at Big Cat Rescue, it's still not enough. These cats should never be bred for life in prison. So we were shocked when Tiger King came out because that was nothing like what we thought we were working on. And my husband and I sat there and actually binge watched it like everybody else did because we were just like, what is that? This is just crazy. Like you said, it was a train wreck. And so uh, I, I didn't know, I mean, your whole topic here is about pop culture. I didn't know how many people had seen it or the impact that it had had until right after the last episode aired and my phone started ringing and it rang nonstop every two minutes or so for the next three months with people oh, wow. cursing at me and swearing at me and saying how much they hated me because I had cats in cages. And I couldn't believe that that was their takeaway from this. That, and many of them saying, I should free Joe Exotic. Like I could go out in the yard <laughs> and bring him out, you know? And so I was just, stunned that this was the reaction that people had to the film. And so I went back and I watched it seven times because I was like, how did people get that out of the film? And I had to really try to look at it through somebody who knew nothing about this industry. And it became very clear that there were so many times when they might be letting me say something about why these cats don't belong in cages. But then the whole time they're showing pictures of people cuddling with tigers and oh, isn't this cute. And so it was, it, I learned from other documentarians that they use something called show, not tell, where people aren't paying attention to what you're saying. They're just paying attention to what they're seeing on the screen. So whenever they're talking about a shabby place, they're showing pictures of Joe's place, but it's my voice talking. So they think those are pictures of my place. And so it was really amazing to me, the editing that created this misconception that people had about me, my background and sanctuaries in general. Oh, I'd agree. I think that there was there was a, a tremendously large mixed message of what was sent through the documentary uh, process of what they were. It was clear that what they were trying to do was, was pump up one and, and, and put down the other. You know, we, we had a couple friends that we, we were watching it together, you know, and I say together because it was 2020. Uh, but we would watch it and then we like send each other notes afterwards. Like, did you watch episode one? Oh, my God. Do you watch episode Episode three, which I think is the worst, and that's where they really frame you as this, this you know, the evil queen of the internet, and you know, uh, <laughs> for lack of better terms, I'm, I'm not saying you know, that's who you are. It's true. It is true. That is that is the light that they shine on you, unfortunately. Yeah, like, and that, and that's where it, that's where it all kind of went. So it, it's kind of interesting that if you were able to watch this other document uh, documentary uh, done by the BBC, please check that out. It shows Carol in a completely different light. And uh, I think it's well worth your time. If you're interested in this topic and you want to know more about it, I think that's a, a beautiful way to kind of round this out because that one series, that one episode should not be what frames public opinion about who and what you are. And but unfortunately, that's where the the mass of this uneducation or miseducation, because I use English properly, uh, <laughs> is coming from. <laughs> you know, I, I unliked him and I'm totally not bragging in this one, I may be one of the only people in the world who didn't watch all of Tiger King. I watched the first episode and did the, you know, mm -mm, too much. Nope, can't do it, can't do it. 
And at the time, my two-year-old daughter was very obsessed with My Little Pony and Trolls. So it was much easier just to watch those over and over and over and over. <laughs> at least those made sense. <laughs> Honestly, I think it was... I got to about the point where they were talking about Joe Exotic's CDs and his music videos that I'm like, I can't do this anymore. This is, this is awful. <laughs> like, and I feel, I feel bad saying that I didn't watch all of it because I don't have, I, I may be one of the only people in the world who doesn't have a preconceived notion of who you are, which actually is probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I haven't been changed by Joe Exotic. Have not been tainted. <laughs> I have not been tainted. But I know that most zoos and a lot of lost a lot of money during the pandemic last year because they couldn't do their fundraising like they usually do. So how did the global shutdown affect your ability to maintain big cat rescue? And how did you keep it going? We have to raise between three and a half and four million dollars every year to take care of the cats and the programs here at the sanctuary. Yeah. <laughs> Every day when I get out of bed, I'm looking at that number like, how do we do that? Oh, gosh. <laughs> and about a third of that came from our tours. And our tours are guided tours where 20 people walk around with a tour guide and a tour backup who would then talk to them for an hour and a half about why these cats don't belong in cages. And then at the end of the hour and a half, we would take them inside and have them call their member of Congress asking them to support our federal bill, which bans cub petting and phases out to private ownership of big cats. So that was generating a million dollars a year that we couldn't do because you can't have 20 people in a close group and you can't have them spread out or they can't hear the tour guide. So we couldn't do the tours and we still are closed to the public. So I started looking for, you know, what are other things that I can do to try and offset that. And Tiger King had kind of a mixed bag of, of impact on our family, you know, from the horrible things that people were saying and the very vicious memes that were being shared across the internet, people having such a, a bad opinion of sanctuaries that are actually doing good work. You know, they're rescuing animals from these horrible situations. They're not buying and breeding and selling. It's the zoos that are buying and breeding and selling. But it seemed like Tiger King did everything they could to make the two the same. And that is clearly what the public came away thinking because I heard that so many times. So I started doing cameos and we started doing, I was asked to do Dancing with the Stars and so funny from that went to the cats. And, you know, it was, it didn't make up for the million dollar shortfall, but at least because of the fact that I had those opportunities that I might not have had otherwise, it did enable us not to go completely into the red. And our donors were amazing. We were kind of concerned after seeing that, you know, we knew our donors, our current donors would not believe a word of that because they know us. They've been to the sanctuary. They know us personally. Yeah, we knew our donors would stay with us, but we didn't know if we'd ever get a new donor because if people, if that was their only um, frame of reference to us, why on earth would they get involved with us? Right. And we were really surprised to see that so many people did come on board as new donors even. And that's enabled us to, keep the cats fed and keep doing the same work that we're doing with conservation. We donate over a hundred thousand dollars to conservation projects each year in the wild. And we're still able to do that. I had to let go half of my paid staff, but thankfully all of our animal care has always been done by, by volunteers. So the cat's care didn't have to suffer any during that period of time. We just had to cut back on some of the things that we do like 
our public relations person and the person who goes out to the schools and those kinds of things. We had to cut all of those programs. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad that, that it was able to, to keep things going and keep things moving. That's important as well. It is hard so. that you'd have to, to cut jobs, but like you said, if you cut the person who went to the schools, the schools were closed anyway. Yeah. And we're doing a lot of that now by zoom by with volunteers doing it. So it's not like we're oh, not nice. doing those things anymore. We just don't have a paid person that that's their whole job. Okay. Nice. Well, I'm glad you're able to, to continue that and somehow. So we, we were talking a little bit about how, you know, uh, at a certain point you were uh, anointed uh, with a, as the evil queen of the internet. Uh, and I'm only saying that just for, for reference sake. Um, yeah, I, because you I, can't I, say the real word everybody was using. <laughs> yeah, well, there was there's a lot more words that I I choose not to use that, that that unfortunately were being cast your way, and I I feel so bad that that's that that's the language that people decided was appropriate uh, at any at any frame of reference. But I have to imagine that having that light being shine shown shine directed directed at you <laughs> could not have been an easy place to be. And that it could not have been easy to to hear those words and see the memes and hear the there were songs made about you that were you know that were not flattering. What was the impact for you, and did that carry over after the airing of the show? And what was the effect on you and your family? Well, it was different because for me, it didn't have any impact on me because. I have a pretty good attitude towards life and what's important and what's not and what people think of me is not important. But if you think about that from your own personal perspective, if somebody were to make up all of the things that they said about me, about you, you would know in your heart, that's not me. And if people think that's me, that still doesn't matter because that's not me. But the people who love you, they feel like they have to defend you and it makes them angry because they're like, you don't know who she really is. This is who And so I think for my family, it was really difficult Whereas for me, it was not a big deal. Okay. So, and I, I know that you said you were getting phone calls and, and you know, your phone had pretty much decided to go on auto ring from the, you know, the time of the last episode aired to, you know, a couple months out. But if it's not, if I'm not mistaken, and correct, please correct me if I, if I'm wrong, but there was also death threats attached to that. Yeah, there were a lot of death threats. In fact, <laughs> there is audio you cannot use on your show if it's family friendly, but I recorded the first three hours of people saying that they wanted to do horrific things to me, including oh killing me and my family, just so that I had it in case the authorities needed it. And I paired it to the screenshots of any phone numbers or email addresses that I could gather that went along with those things. But um, most of the people, it seemed, used burner phones. Um, and hid behind aliases where you couldn't tell who they were sending those kinds of threats. It really was a wake up call to me as to a couple of things about humanity. And I found this really distressing because I've always had a, a really good attitude toward people and feel like even the people who were being hateful to me, the, the people who were abusing these animals and who were making up these vicious lies, I felt like they're doing the only thing they can because there is no justification for what they're doing or what they did. And so the only thing they can do is to try and deflect attention away from that and to make up things that'll make people want to talk more and wag their tongues more about that than thinking about the real issues. So they're just doing what you would expect them to do. But what really shocked me is the number of people around the world 
mostly in the U.S., it seems, but around the world, who were so caught up in believing what they saw on TV that they would go to such extreme lengths to find out how to contact me and my entire family and all of our staff and even our veterinarians and everybody you can imagine who was connected to the sanctuary was getting those same harassing calls. And what would make a person feel like, one, anything that they saw on TV was true, and two, that they would go that they would go to such great lengths to be cruel without doing a minute's worth of research. I mean, all you have to do is pull up the public records in Hillsborough County, Florida, to know so many things that were said in Tiger King were lies about, you know, my husband was not a millionaire when I met him. I'm the person who built our real estate business. All of that's in the public record. I had done a rebuttal page called bigcatrescue.org slash Netflix and went minute by minute through the entire program saying, when you saw this, this is the evidence they had to the contrary that they chose not to show you, or this is how they were manipulating you. And people didn't bother to do any of that, but they did bother to try and be hateful to somebody they didn't know and to everybody involved with that person. And so that was just a, a stunning wake up call to me that there are a lot of really ignorant and cruel people out there. And I never would have guessed that. Never, never thought that there was such a huge segment of society that could act that way. I watched a show on Animal Planet a few years ago that was about mermaids. And I believe there were mermaids at the end of it. And it was like, wow, I can't believe the government's hiding mermaids from us. (laughs) People being misled by something they saw on TV. But I, you know, I didn't like go try to burn down some Right. I didn't call them up in the middle of the night just to harass them and their family. It's entirely possible that there's mermaids. And I have to say that because my daughter would, would argue with me otherwise. In fact, she has. I told her they didn't exist. And she said, well, have you ever seen one? And I said, <laughs> well, no. That she says that you can't say they don't exist. She's 14. She still holds that as a, a valid <laughs> argument. So You know, it's not a bad argument. And if we're going to go with potentially invisible, potentially non-existent creatures, the Scottish animal, the the national flat, the national animal of Scotland is the unicorn. It's okay. It's okay if people believe in mermaids. <laughs> Scotland believes in unicorns. And and Nessie. So, but that's a whole other topic. That's a whole other. That's a whole other show. We're getting off topic. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll circle back around to Nessie. <laughs> That was pop culture, but it was probably like in the 60s. <laughs> oh, there's there's a resurgence of it. Uh, Nessie's getting very popular again uh, as oh. of late. So. Yeah. Yeah. I just, and it is hard when we live in the world of so much misinformation. And they the, the internet was originally supposed to be the information superhighway. And it's become the misinformation superhighway. That there are so many false things out uh, out there that people will believe because the internet told me so and it's it's sad it is really sad to me but you know some people hold the idea that there's no such thing as bad publicity that it might be better to think of that publicity is what you make it which i don't know if i believe that or not but have you been able to use your push into the social consciousness to help big cat rescue you said that you had some new donors after um, Tiger King. But do you feel like that's helped Big Cat because people know who you are 
I don't know that it's helped Big Cat Rescue so much. We've gotten some new donors, but even with the new donors, we're running this year about $200,000 in the black. And in the past, we would be at this point in the year, we'd be about $500,000 in the black. Each year, we were able to be setting aside close to a million dollars. And what we're doing with money like that is making sure that our cats always have a place to call home. They have an endowment fund to make sure that no matter what happens, if if any of those people had been successful in killing me, it's not going to kill the sanctuary. It's going to be able to fund itself. And it enables us to do the conservation work that we do in the wild. But still, it's cut us at least by half of what we were able to do before and I don't know how much of that is due to COVID and how much of that's you know, because people don't have the income that they had before. So it's hard to say what impact mm-hmm. that, that has had on it. But I think that there is a an element of the notoriety giving me access that I didn't have before. So whenever I would go to Congress and want to talk about passing our federal bill, because we've been trying to get this bill passed since the 1990s, and we got a version of it passed in 2003, but now we're trying to close the loopholes on that and have been since 2003. So many times when I would go into Congress, they would say they didn't believe this problem existed. They couldn't believe that people actually had lions and tigers in their backyards because they've never seen it. <laughs> kind of like the mermaid, yeah. if I've never seen it, then it doesn't really exist. And so the one good thing about Tiger King is that 64 million people saw what was happening with these tigers that were giving birth and having people jerk their cubs away from them with that metal rod and dragging them across the rocks and pulling them through the wire of the cages so that they could go around and have people have their pictures made with them. And so that opened their eyes to the fact that this problem even exists. And even then, we work with a group of people that we've been working with since 2011 to try and get this bill passed. And so this is a group that is, it includes the International Fund for Animal Welfare and the Humane Society of the United States and Animal Welfare Institute and Animal Wellness Action, all of these huge groups born free. And every week my husband leads a call with them on, you know, which members of Congress did we get on board and which sheriff's associations do we get? And they're always working together to try and make this happen. And after Tiger King came out, there was a press briefing that they wanted to do with Congress, and they didn't want me to come. Because for me to come, that means all of the press and all of the Congress and all of their aides, all they want to do is talk about the freak show that was Tiger King. (laughs) And they can't pay attention to what's important, which is a federal bill to protect these cats. So I felt like, you know, Tiger King really hurt me individually that way, because this is something I'm so passionate about and have fought so hard for, but I was willing to take a back seat. It's only been after Dancing with the Stars and Shooting Joe Exotic and some of these other programs that have come out, The Conservation Game, um, Tiger Mafia, some of these other things that have shown that this industry is the bad guys and that the people trying to end the abuse are not the bad guys, that that's starting to turn. So like just recently, one of the um, senators Republican senators asked me to come and speak to a group of all of the chiefs of staff for all of the senators. And so that was a an invitation I probably never would have gotten had it not been for Tiger King making my name even known to them. And then, you know, all of the bad press turning into the good press that has happened in the past six to eight months. 
So I think it did serve a good purpose. It's just, it wasn't that Tiger King did me a favor. It was the fact that Tiger King did me such a disfavor that other people did me a favor. <laughs> well, I'm that glad actually, to hear though that, that something bad, a negative turned into a positive. Yeah. That, you know, that's, that's always a good thing. But like Kathleen said, it is what you make of it. I mean, I could have just crawled into a hole sure. and been, you know, refused to talk to anybody and not taken advantage of the bad press in order to make it good press. Oh, understood. That's true. You know, going back to the, the the thought of the pandemic, though, for a moment, and where everybody was sitting there, you know, uh, under quarantine or you know, uh, shelter and sheltering in place, and looking for something to do to entertain themselves, which of course is part of the reason why I started watching the train wreck. But between Tiger King and Dancing with the Stars, do you take some measure of pride knowing that, in one way or another, that you helped entertain America? Be- during a global pandemic? That was a that was another thing that surprised me was so many people, nobody who has come up to me in person has been mean. Everyone who has come up to me in person since Tiger King has been so sweet and so kind. And awesome. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's only the people who can hide behind an alias or hide behind a, a screen that they have been so cruel. But I've heard so many people ask to either get a selfie with me or say how much they love me because I got them through quarantine. And I'm thinking, if you're saying I got you through quarantine, it was because you were watching all of these horrific things that these animal abusers were saying about me. And you found that to be so entertaining. You you just forgot all about COVID. And then, so I'm thinking in my head, I don't understand this compliment. <laughs> this is not a compliment. <laughs> But it clearly happened to an awful lot of people. And so it's like, hey, if that helped got you, get you through the night, then I am so glad to have been of help. Wasn't where I was going. <laughs> Wasn't at all what I was trying to do. But I am glad that people found some way to deal with COVID because, oh, my gosh, how scary was that? And yeah. you know, I think that actually was a big part of it. We were so scared. We didn't know what it was when it first came out. Mm-hmm. We didn't know how bad this was going to be. We didn't know if we were going to have to you know, let go half of our employees or if those people, you know, were worried that they were going to be the half that were let go from some other place. And so I think everybody was looking for somebody to blame. And Joe Exotic was saying everything that goes bad in the world, it's Carol Baskin's fault. And so I think everybody just jumped on that train because it gave them somebody they could blame since they couldn't figure out who else to blame. You became the easy target. Yeah, I mean, I saw so many of the memes were about COVID being my fault. And it's like, really? <laughs> How on earth could that be the, the case? Right. But, you know, that people would think that. And yet, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. I, I have one more question. I just, this just came up and I was thinking of this. Um, so we, on our other show, Funny Science Fiction Podcast, we, we interviewed a voice actor by the name of O.G. Banks. Now, O.G. was in a, a, a show called newsies uh where he's not really a dancer and as far as he was told he was an actor who moves well so for you when it came to dancing with the stars were you a dancer previous to this or or were you a uh a big cat rescuer or a big cat rescuer who moves well neither Neither. awesome I had never danced in my life because I was raised in a fundamental Christian family that believed it was a sin. So even at my own wedding, we did not dance. 
And so when somebody calls me up and says they want me to come on Dancing with the Stars, <laughs> I just, I, well, I laugh like that because it's like, <laughs> you clearly don't know me. And the only, the, the first thing that got me, my daughter was the one that wanted me to do it. I had never seen the show. And so, you know, it's really kind of funny that I'm talking about pop culture because I don't know pop culture at all. I don't know what's on TV. I couldn't name five different bands. I couldn't tell you what the top songs are. I don't know anything about pop culture. And so she told me this was a show she liked. And so I thought, well, with the name Dancing with the Stars, the good thing is maybe they will pair me up with a star because whenever you're going before Congress, they always want to know which stars do you have on board with this. So I thought maybe I can talk up, chat up some star on on Dancing with the Stars and get them to go with me to Congress. And then I'm told that I'm supposed to be the star. And it's like, that's not a very good star. That and and I can't dance. Where is this going? And so they insisted that they could teach me how to dance. And I proved by the third episode that they could not teach me. <laughs> I was trying really, really hard to win that thing because every week I was on, I got to talk about big cats. And it was another opportunity to get our federal bill out there and people's yeah. face. But I could not do it. All of the time. Well, from one person who can't dance to another person who can't dance, I jolly good show. You, you done did good, kid. Uh, <laughs> Costumes were great. Yeah, Costumes were beautiful. Yeah, once I stand up, it's I, I can dance if I'm sitting down. I'm the world's greatest chair dancer. Uh, if I stand up, that's where everything goes awry. So I completely understand. <laughs> there's, an, there's, there's a mental image for you, and you are welcome. Jeez, so. thanks, Tim. Poor white boy can't dance. It happens. Nope. <laughs> yeah, and Throughout my research, Carol, I found it interesting that unlike some other countries, there is no registration program for big cats in the United States. So we literally have no idea how many lions and tigers are out there or where they are. So I can imagine that this, I can imagine why it's a problem, but could you tell our, our viewers and our listeners why it's such a concern for the animal's well-being as well as public safety? I think this is the biggest factor as to why everybody should care about prohibiting cut petting and phasing out private ownership. Because you might be saying to yourself, well, I don't care what other people do, or I don't want to get in their business, or if they want to pay to pet a cub, that's okay. Or if they want to have a tiger in their backyard, that's okay. Some people think that. But what I think all of us on this planet can agree to is that none of us can picture a world where there are no tigers living free, there are no lions living free or leopards or jaguars or any of those magnificent cats. And they are being sucked out of the wild, like a vacuum cleaner going through sucking them out of the wild because of the fact that some of these Asian countries, even though it's illegal, CITES is the um, Convention and Trade and Endangered Species, and they get together and they make the rules that the whole world is going to play by as far as how we deal with endangered species. And so China is a country that has said, we're, you know, we agree, we're not going to be um, selling tiger parts like their teeth or their bones or tiger bone wine. And yet what they've been doing is stockpiling tigers, 5,000 to 7,000 of these cats that are being bred in these tiger mills with the anticipation that as soon as there are no more tigers in the wild, they will have the market cornered for having those products and that that will make those products worth so much more than they currently are. And as long as you are doing things that are stimulating that demand, 
you're giving a smokescreen with all of that legal activity to the illegal activity of poaching. So here, what happens when we go to CITES, my daughter went to CITES and she led a little side event where we had some uh, regular bottles of wine, but she made labels that were about tiger bone wine and how these cats are killed for it and everything. And the people who were there, some of the Chinese people that were there said, at least we know where our tigers are. You in the US don't even know where your cats are. And that's true because we have no scheme in the U.S. under which the federal government or state agencies have any idea how many tigers there are, who owns them, what kind of conditions they're in. Right. And there's hundreds of them being bred every year because for the pay to play schemes where people are posing with a cute little cub, they can only use them from about eight weeks to 12 weeks. And then they go from being a very lucrative product that they say they can generate $100,000 off a cub during that four-week window. After that, they become a liability. It costs us $10,000 a year to take care of a single tiger just in food and vet care. So as soon as those cats can't be used any longer, they're either killed or they're sent to people that want them as pets, or they're put into these breeding mills here in the U.S. to pump out more of those cubs. So... As long as we have people that are trading in those animals legally here in the U.S., if you get caught with a tiger tooth around your neck, you can just say that was my pet tiger. When, in fact, you may have been somebody who said, I want the tooth of a wild tiger. I want the premium product, not some inbred cage raised tiger. I want the real thing. And if you can afford it, that's what you're going to do. And so that's what's causing all of those animals to be sucked out of the wild for their parts. And the only thing that we can do to stop it is to stop the cub petting and to phase out the private ownership of these cats. And we don't have a minute to lose. I think in the next five years or so, the cats will be completely gone in the wild because of the fact that we've let this go so far. Wow. So sad. I am wondering though, just as another animal lover, trying to make sure that what I'm doing isn't harming the animals. The what is your opinion on the American zoos and aquariums? Are they doing what they think is best for tigers and lions? Do you think that they're trying? Are they at least on the right path to to being safe homes for them? ACA zoos, of course, are much better funded. They have better food, better vet care, better keeper care. You know, it's not a bunch of drunken meth head derelicts <laughs> taking care of the animals at the ACA zoos. These are people that usually have a biology degree. And so it's a better cage than the cages in other situations. But I've spent 40 years working with big cats. And I know that if I open the door, they're going to walk away and never look back. They don't care that they're getting free room and board here. They don't want to be in cages. And I think as long as we keep them in cages, we're teaching our children that it's okay to take away someone's freedom if that amuses you in some way, or if you think you're learning some kind of conservation lesson about that. You know, whatever the excuse is that we make to take a kids out to the zoo for a day of screaming and yelling and not paying attention to the animals. So I, I'm a big, huge proponent of virtual reality. And I think that that's what's going to save the tiger in the wild. We put out two new videos every week. One is a regular video and the other is a 360. So you put on the headset. Do you guys, are you gamers? Do you have headsets? Oh yeah. So I do not have an Oculus headset, but I have used it several times and they are quite fun. So if you can imagine putting on that headset, now you're in the cage with one of our tigers and she's eating her food because I can put the camera in there. I can't put a person in there. 
because she's eating that food this far from your face and you're hearing that crunching and you're seeing her teeth and you're seeing how she just takes a chomp or two and then swallows the bones and all. And you're getting that really close personal experience with the tiger. Now imagine that you set that camera up where tigers live in the wild. You have one by the den site. You have one down by the river where everybody knows that they go to get a drink. You have one, I don't know, all over the place. And you create a blockchain system where a smart contract, where somebody is buying a subscription to that feed, just like you would to Netflix. You're buying the subscription to the feed of that cat in the wild coming into your headset 24 seven. You can take your, your um, joystick and hop around from camera to camera looking for the heat maps of where a cat was last spotted because mm -hmm. cameras are capable of doing that. And then you're actually seeing those animals in the wild doing what they do, which is serving conservation. It's keeping habitats viable. You don't have healthy habitats where you don't have these apex predators. And so if all of the money, or at least a huge portion of the money from that feed actually goes back into those local economies so that people who have to live with tigers and lose their oxen and sheep and other animals to those cats, sometimes they have a financial incentive to want to protect the cats and not burn down the forest for, for farming that's not going to be sustainable. They're going to be able to feed their families and do the things that they want to do because they have that revenue coming in. And the rest of the world gets to enjoy these animals living free and being who they are and teaching our children what that really means in the environment. And of course, you've got all of these other animals. If you have a tiger on there, you're going to see everything else. Right. So that's where I think zoos need to remake themselves they could turn themselves into location-based experiences for people who can't afford a $500 headset to come to their their facility, use their equipment. They could even do it so much better. Like if you're going to go to the Himalayas and see snow leopards, they're blowing all this cold air on you, you know, and they're playing they're They have the smell of curry in the background and you see the monk's tent over there. And so you have that whole experience of being there on the top of the mountains with those cats. That is that is something that really serves what they say they're there for. They say they're there for conservation. They don't tell you that they're in the business of showing you an animal in a cage, but currently that's all that a zoo is doing. So if they were in the business of actually saving these animals in the wild where they belong, they have a, a path forward to do that. And that's been my goal is to try and lead them down that path and show them that it is viable, that people will pay to do those kinds of things. And that's why we put out the videos we do and why we invest in virtual reality games and NFTs and cat coins and all of the things that I'm doing right now are to show these zoos how they can market themselves to be what they say that they wanted to be. Uh, and frankly, sense. I would so sign up for that service uh that would be really cool because it, as cool as it is it, to go see uh, a, a, an animal and the zoo i love the videos like okay so like the national geographic videos the bbc documentaries of these animals and doing what they do in real life and and in their home environment that to me is is more amazing than going to a zoo and watching a cat sleep uh <laughs> If I want to watch a cat sleep, I'll go to my living room. I have two cats. I'll, I'll go. I'll go watch my my domesticated house cats. Uh, you know, sleep and and scratch each other. You know, I, I I'm good there. 
but I love being able to watch these documentaries and these these nature shows and see animals in the wild doing the things that they are supposed to do. So to me, your concept your, your, is is right on point. And to be able to to deep dive into that with a, a headset like an Oculus headset or something along those lines, how cool would that be? And frankly, now I have to go get an Oculus headset so I can watch the cats eat at your, at your rescue. Now you have um, an excuse. <laughs> So uh, I'm going to tell my wife it's your fault. We're buying one. And uh, well, that and then I can go buy the Vader Immortal game, too. But that's a whole other topic. Okay. Uh <laughs> you know, and it's it's fascinating to me, the number of people who are like, oh, but a tiger for a pet. It's like I have an 11 pound house cat and I know how much damage an 11 pound cat can do. A 600 pound cat. Like, no, 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 no. I have had scratches from the 11 pound one i have had bite marks from the 11 pound one the 11 pound one cannot kill me that's what I, it wants you to think right <laughs> well and that's the thing is like that's why house cats are so angry is that they are they're the perfect little killing machines and we keep picking them up and telling them they're cute and fluffy <laughs> and of course they hate us <laughs> of course so carol you've been working so hard and so tirelessly for years uh trying to get some legislation passed about big cat breeding and things like that. And one of the, a lot of your opponents will say, well, she used to do the very same thing. She was breeding cats. She was doing this. And I've heard it in other interviews. And I think it was even on Jeff Dwoskin's uh, uh, interview uh, live from Detroit. The Jeff Dwoskin show, great podcast. Please go check that out. A uh, good friend of mine. Um, but I think it was even on his show that you said that, yeah, I was dumb. I made some mistakes. I did some things I should not have done. And clearly you've learned from those things. So, how has this journey from being the new cat owner and oh goodness, they you know, look at you know, uh, look at me with the cats gone from from that to being the person who wants to make this bill happen? How did you get to that point? Yeah, we never bred lions or tigers because those cats frankly breed like rabbits. We had only bred some of the more rare, smaller cat species back in like, the early like bobcats, right? Uh, like uh, ocelots. We. Okay. A couple of bobcats, servals, caracals, um, mostly cats people have never even heard of. And this was before the internet. So the only people we could turn to for advice, we contacted the zoo first and they promptly hung up on me. And I didn't understand why. Now I do because I was part of that horrible pet trade and didn't even know it. And so the breeders and dealers were saying, you know, the zoos are not a good place for some of these small cat species because they're so noisy and you get children running around and throwing rocks at the cages and beating on the glass and everything else. And they don't, the small cats don't breed well there. So we have to breed them in captivity for them to serve future generations was the pitch. And we, with the ocelots, we actually got involved with the Association of Zoos and Aquariums with a program where they were reintroducing ocelots back to the wild. And it was, this was back in the nineties. And thankfully we never sent them any cats. We signed up for it, but then we never produced any cats for them to send to this program because every single one of the cats died shortly after they turned them loose. And the reason is all of the cats that are in current zoos in America, all of the ocelots came from Central and South America where their primary diet are snakes because most of the snakes there are not venomous. And so what they were trying to do was to create a release program into Texas where ocelots used to live and repopulate Texas and the southern states. They actually even came all the way over into Florida before they were wiped out by hunters. 
And so sounded like a good program to me. You're going to be able to breed these cats and put them back in the wild. And what they do, and there's a staged process where, you know, you, you sure. like a, a halfway, I forget what you call it, but it's like a soft release where the mothers and the kittens are kept in an area until the mothers can teach the kittens how to hunt. And then those kittens are the ones that are released. But by the time they got to the point of releasing the cats, all the cats ended up going out there and catching snakes. And in Texas, there are rattlesnakes. And so it wiped out the entire program because these cats have instinctual, instinctual um, or regional instincts. And you don't know when you're breeding cats in captivity what those regional instincts might be that would make them never be a candidate for release to the wild. So as soon as we figured out that none of these cats that were being bred in cages were ever going to go free, that's when we stopped breeding. So we bred from about 93 till 97, I think. We had a couple of accidental births in 98 and 99 with cats that were like 19 years old and like <laughs> five years older than they're even supposed to live. And all of a sudden they come up pregnant and you're like, what the heck? <laughs> and then I have one cat that the vet said it was fixed and it turned out not to be fixed. And so there were a couple of little accidents we had after that, but we stopped essentially breeding in 97. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the legislation that you're trying to get passed. You've, you've mentioned it uh, a few times uh, in passing that things that you're working on, but essentially what is the, the gist of the legislation that you want to get passed through uh, Congress for big cat breeding? It's really simple. It does two things. It prohibits cub petting. So you're not allowed to go pet a cub anywhere and in the U.S., and it phases out private ownership. So people that have them can keep them, doesn't take anybody's pet away from them, but they just can't buy or breed more. And over the next few years, all of those animals that are in private hands will die out. The public sector, usually by the time the animal is anywhere from three to five years old, actually more like two to five years old, that's when they usually get rid of them because that's when they become adults. And that's when they start spraying and biting and becoming who they were meant to be. So they'll usually turn them over to a sanctuary within a couple of years. And um, for the cats that are in sanctuaries, like Big Cat Rescue and some of the legitimate accredited sanctuaries, those cats can live into their late teens and early 20s because of the, the kind of care we give is so much better than most of the zoos. The zoos, even though they have good food and vet care and all that, they've got hordes of people, millions of people coming through, and it's just not a good experience for cats. So you, they're usually dead by the time they're 10 or 12 years old in most zoos. So even in the sanctuaries, within 20 years, those cats will die out. And if the only place people can get their big cat fix is through virtual reality or paying to go to India to see tigers, then they're going to actually start putting that money into actually saving the cats in the wild by giving people alternatives where they can spend money to come see a cat in a cage, we're just putting that off until the point where we may be putting it off too long and there won't be any cats in the wild left. Okay, excellent. So where, where are you in the process with that? I know that you said that you've been working on it. What's it look like for the future of this bill? It's looking really good this year. We thought, we thought because we had such great momentum, we had so many bipartisan co-sponsors in both the House and the Senate at the end of the last session um, prior to, it's two year sessions. So if you go back a couple of years, we were doing so well that we went into the 2019, 2020 session thinking 
this is our session. We are going to do it this session. We were going like gangbusters. We get into 2020 and we're like, yes, we're closing in on it. We've got all these co-sponsors that have signed on saying the co-sponsor means that when it comes to the floor for a vote, they'll sign, they'll vote for it. So we knew we had the votes and we were so thrilled. And then COVID hit and Tiger King and the election and the insurrection. (laughs) It was just like, holy cats. But despite all of that, in December of 2020, we finally got it to the House floor for a vote, which is no easy feat. I mean, I'd say maybe probably less than 3% of bills ever get that far. And we got it to the House floor for a vote, and we did it on the suspension calendar, which meant we didn't have to get a majority. We had to get two-thirds majority, and we did. And we still, and we had like 10 people to spare, so we were like, Yes, we got it through the House. So all we got to do is send it over to the Senate. They're going to hear it on the floor. And this was like December the 13th, I think. Senate never called it up for a hearing. And so at the end of the year, December 31st, we had to start all over again this year. Oh, no. But this year we have 200 and some co-sponsors in the House, which is more than we've ever had. And 40 of those are Republicans, whereas last year, after two years of trying to get Republicans on the bill, we only had half as many. And in the Senate, we actually launched this year for the first time ever with co- with uh, bipartisan support. So we've always had Republicans that got onto the bill afterwards in the Senate, but this time we had them sign up ahead of time saying, we're going to be on this from the very beginning because this needs to happen. So we've gotten some really, really good support that makes me think that probably in September of this year, we can probably expect it to pass before the House and then be handed off to the Senate. And surely by the end of this year, we can get it through the Senate. We still have another full year of the session if that's not the case, but I think we can do it this year. Excellent. So if it goes the way you are hoping, the way that it's looking like it's going and it gets passed this year, what's next? Where do you go from here? So once that happens, then it will, um, it will take care of easily 95 to 98% of the problem because you won't have hundreds of cubs that are being bred and abused and then discarded. And so that frees up my time to do the stuff that I was working on in January because I thought we were so close last session that it was going to pass. We spent $40,000 in a virtual reality game that we created. It was the first virtual reality game where you actually go in instead of shooting tigers, you're going in there and, and saving a tiger from poachers and learning about saving tigers and learning about tracking tigers. And you're the hero of that game. And so we put that out there for free because we wanted people to be able to to play that for free. We had to charge for it in um, some of the other things that we did because they wouldn't market it if we didn't charge, but we charged like $4.95. So it's available now on the Oculus, it's available on Steam, it's available in all of the arcades in the US where you go in and rent games, it's there. We did a partnership with Victory XR, which is the uh, leading provider to schools to provide them with internet or with um, virtual reality gaming and learning modules. And so we do all of that to try and get the message out there about why you need to protect these tigers. What's the name of the game, Carol? Big Cat Rescue VR. Perfect. Okay. I, my buddy who has a uh, Oculus, I'm going to tell him about it. You'll have to use it from App Labs. You know, they have like two different places on the Oculus where you get your apps and we could not mm-hmm. put it in the regular app store, but it's in their App Labs, which is like a subset of their store. 
Okay. Apple, as soon as you said Steam, I'm looking down at my computer with the my Steam icon is right there. Might okay, need to do it. <laughs> I'll be checking that out later. Very cool. It looks very different. This is a Rift S, and looking at it in here, it's like, oh my gosh, this forest is so gorgeous. And you can like go down in the river and look up through the water, and just oh. Be like, oh, this is so amazing. You can do those things in the Oculus, but it's more cartoony looking. Okay. It's still cool. It's still cool. Absolutely. Carol, we have had so much fun talking to you today. Where can our viewers and our listeners go to find out about your work, to help support your legislation, to support you, and to support the big cats? I think the most important thing anybody can do if they're from the U.S. is go to bigcatact.com. When they type in their name and address there, it will actually look up their member of Congress. It preforms an email for them. It preforms a tweet for them. And it even gives them a script so they can choose to send the tweet to their member of Congress. It knows who it is and it'll do it for you. Um, same thing with the email. It knows where to send it. You just hit go. And on the call, that's that's where people can really make a difference because one call is worth like 200 emails. And so if you're afraid to make a call to Congress, if you've never done it before, we give you a little short script to say, and it's and it dials the numbers for you. And it'll dial both of your um senators and your representative in succession. So you just stay on the phone and go through each one and say, please ask your boss to co-sponsor the Big Cat Public Safety Act. And if you do that after hours or on the weekend, then they're closed and you're just talking <laughs> to an answering machine. So it's not so scary. That's awesome. We are definitely going to make sure that that is linked in our bio, as well as your Big Cat Rescue website anyway, so that they can find all of that and they can figure out how to help you and help the big cats. Thank you so much. Definitely. I want to remind you again, please go to bigcatact.com. Check out that. Help Carol help these big cats. And remember, kids, pop culture is all around you. It influences everything that we do, everything that we say. So be sure to come back next time. We'll have your fix waiting for you. Thanks again, Carol. Stay cool, cats. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Right. Goodbye. Hey, thanks for listening to Pop Culture Addicts. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of Pop Culture Addicts, you can reach us on either Instagram or Twitter by using the handle at PCA Pod Show. You can also email us at PCA Pod Show at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Copyright 2021 Pop Culture Addicts. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of by Pop Culture Addicts or any of its sponsors. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at pcapodshow at gmail.com.